The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. We're seeing a groundswell of excitement and expectation among many Christians that Jesus will be returning soon. And Muslims around the world have a growing anticipation that we're nearing the end of days. Islam's expectation is for the coming of their messianic leader that they call the Mahdi. Now we see a real stirring in the Jewish world. Jews within and outside of Israel are preparing for the last days by making plans to rebuild their temple here in Jerusalem. Today we'll look at this prophetic fulfillment of a coming third temple and most significantly the restoration of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. After nearly 2,000 years of mourning the destruction of their ancient temple, the Jewish people are making serious plans to build a new temple in Jerusalem. Talk about some provocative headlines when that begins. But according to a group called the Temple Institute here in Jerusalem, the restoration of temple worship and sacrifices are something we may see in our lifetime. The Institute has been promoting this idea since its founding in 1987 by the study and creation of objects used in ancient temple worship. Today, they have moved one step closer to a restoration of that worship by breeding a special animal that must be used in the temple sacrifices. This exceptional animal has to be a pure, unblemished, kosher breed of cow raised under strict rabbinical supervision and known as a red heifer. But in order for this cow to be considered kosher, it must be raised from birth in a controlled environment. Israel's Ministry of Agriculture has already approved and introduced a red Angus breed into the country. And now the search is on to find one special animal that will meet all the biblical requirements. Believe me, it's a complicated matter, and if you're not Jewish, it can all sound a bit puzzling. So what's this all about? According to the Bible, the ashes of a sacrificial red cow are necessary for the water of purification in order to consecrate the temple priest and the sacred vessels to be used in the temple. Several modern candidates of red heifers born in Israel have been examined, but none so far has met the rigid qualifications. The biblical requirement is found in Numbers chapter 19, where God commands the children of Israel to bring a red heifer to be sacrificed. This heifer must be without spot and without blemish and must never have been under a yoke. So the heifer, known as the red cow, must qualify three ways. Number one, it must be entirely red in color. No spots are allowed, no white or black hairs anywhere. And why red? Well, we know that red is a symbol for blood because elsewhere in the Bible, in Leviticus 17.11, an important verse where we're told that it is blood that makes an atonement for the soul. 
Secondly, this red heifer must be without spot or blemish. And thirdly, it must never have worn a yoke. In other words, it must never do any work. This speaks of the fact that we're not saved by our works. Ephesians 2.8 is a key verse concerning salvation in the New Testament. And I believe every believer should memorize Ephesians 2.8. It declares, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Furthermore, according to Numbers 19, the heifer is to be slaughtered and burned outside the camp. The Jews had determined this was done on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, who was the Lamb of God, also offered up his life on the cross outside the camp, outside the walls of Jerusalem. Now, in addition, God specified that three prophetic items were to be added to the sacrificial fire. Cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool. The ashes of these four elements, the red heifer, cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool, were to be collected and placed in a vessel containing living spring water. Each of the elements, red heifer, cedar wood, hyssop, and the scarlet wool, are powerful Bible pictures of purification and atonement. For example, in Exodus chapter 15, a tree, which was a type of the cross, was thrown by Moses into the bitter water to make it sweet for the people to drink. And cedar wood was a foreshadowing of the cross. And therefore, some theologians say that based upon the scripture in Numbers 19, allowing scripture to interpret scripture, the cross of Messiah was therefore made of cedar wood. Hyssop in the Bible was used to sprinkle blood in ceremonial purifications. And hyssop was the pole that was used to serve the sponge with vinegar for Jesus to drink during his crucifixion. And some scholars suggest the scarlet wool was a foreshadowing of the Lord's scarlet robe. Using these symbols, bear in mind that God declared in Isaiah 1.18, Come now and let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Well, Christians believe Jesus the Messiah fulfilled all these types and shadows that were prefigured in the red heifer ceremony. However, even the New Testament teaches that in the last days, prior to the second coming of Jesus, the Jews will return to their homeland and they will determine to rebuild their temple once again. In order to proceed with rebuilding their temple, they will require the ashes of a red heifer. Well, is this important? And please pardon the pun, but the world might think a red cow under rabbinic supervision is utter madness. It's easy to overlook the prophetic significance of all of this. But I'm here to tell you that the return of the red heifer reminds us of timeless principles laid down in Holy Scripture. Primarily, it teaches us the necessity for atonement because sin has a defiling nature. The return of the red cow teaches us that the defiling power of sin is widespread in the world. The red heifer teaches us that 
Cleansing from sin has a divine prescription and it involves a perfect sacrifice without blemish and without human works. So believers in Messiah see the application to Messiah's supreme sacrifice, Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. Embrace the cross in order to expiate our sins. And he did this as one who had never worn the yoke of sin. In fact, Jesus was declared to be without sin. And so he was perfectly suitable to accomplish the glorious exploit of expiation of our sins. His disciples testified that Jesus never sinned and even bystanders who watched Jesus die also declared that surely he was divine, the very son of God. Today, nearly 2000 years later, the ancient descendants of Jesus at the Temple Institute have restored some of the sacred temple vessels. And these implements of temple worship and service are fascinating. They're living history. And the objects can be seen at the Temple Institute's visitor center in the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem's old city. We've taken groups there many times to see these prophetic signs and wonders. And the Temple Institute recently explained in a press release that the red heifer is the Hebrew scripture's antidote to impurity. They recognize that we're living in an impure world. They believe the red heifer project is an imperative for the reestablishment of ritual purity. While many Christians get angry with the Jews and say, why are they reinstituting these sacrifices? Script, uh, Christians say that biblical purity has already been accomplished through the sacrifice of the Son of God Himself. Christians believe and declare that God has already provided the perfect solution to impurity once and for all in the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus as the Lamb of God. And so many Christians continue to ask, why are the Jews doing this all over again? But I ask Christians to be patient with the Jews. You see, when God outpours a spirit of grace and supplication on the house of David in the last days, as he promised to do in Zechariah 12.10, then the nation of Israel will see the pierced Messiah and mourn for him. And in the meantime, prophecies are being fulfilled according to the light and faith that the Jewish people presently have. God knows exactly where the Temple Institute is headed, and if we have the eyes of faith, we will see the bigger picture and that the New Testament says there will be a temple in the last days. These Orthodox Jews have been working by faith for years to honor the God of Israel by doing what they truly believe is incumbent upon them. After nearly 2,000 years of exile, they believe it's their solemn duty to arise and rebuild God's house. However, the spirit of Islam is not happy with their faith efforts to transform Jewish fasting and mourning days into celebrations. Videos posted on Arabic internet sites are shared at the Temple Institute's website to expose Islamic apartheid and resentment against any Jewish presence on the ancient Temple Mount. Jews aren't allowed to drink from a water fountain there, and Muslim women hiss and taunt Jews who attempt quietly to pray on the Temple Mount. 
Bands of shouting, veiled women swarm like hornets, hounding the Jews every step. Not to mention the multitude of politically correct Israeli policemen and Muslim agents who interfere to ensure that Jews don't pray and to arrest and remove them if they do. Tragically, this menacing behavior takes place in a free and democratic Jewish state. But despite the discouragements, these Jewish visionaries are plowing ahead with plans to rebuild the temple. But there's a dilemma facing the Jews to reinstitute the red heifer sacrifice according to the prescribed methods written in the Mishnah. That's the oral traditions that have been written down by the rabbis. There has been a 2,000 year break since the last ashes were offered and according to Jewish tradition in the Mishnah, Moses offered the first red heifer and the ashes of that animal were mixed with a succession of eight other red heifers right through to the time of the temple's destruction in 70 AD. The debate among some rabbis is that even if a perfect red heifer were found today, Without the former ashes, the new ashes couldn't be mixed with the ancient ashes. Therefore, some argue that any new temple sacrifice wouldn't be valid. Some believe the ashes were rescued from the temple before its destruction and that they were hidden away somewhere near the Dead Sea where scrolls from the temple period have been found. In fact, there have been excavations and searches by both Jewish and Christian Bible scholars and adventurers to try to find the ancient ashes. So far, digging in caves has produced no results, but a few men are still searching. Without the continuity of the old ashes to mix with the new, how could temple sacrifice be reinstated today? Well, there's a possible footnote to the Red Heifer story found in the book of Judges in chapter 21. The tribes of Israel had just fought a bitter civil war and thousands had died in battles to avenge an incident that had been started by the bellicose tribe of Benjamin. And as a result, Benjamin was almost completely wiped out. Only 600 Benjamites remained. Well, the other 11 tribes were shocked. They cried to God, why has this happened that there should be one tribe missing in Israel? In the heat of the battle, the men of Israel had sworn an oath not to give their daughters to Benjamin as wives. But suddenly it dawned on everyone that the remnant 600 Benjamites would die out. What a problem they had created for themselves. They had vowed not to give their daughters to the tribe of Benjamin. So religious leaders had to confront a seemingly insurmountable problem. The book of Judges gives an honest account of how they overcame this deadlock. Someone noticed that a town of Israel hadn't sent anyone to fight in the Civil War. The town was named Jabesh Gilead. So they dispatched an army of warriors to kill every inhabitant of Jabesh Gilead except for 400 young virgins who were taken to the camp at Shiloh and they were given as wives to the, to the men of Benjamin. The remaining 200 eligible Benjamites took advantage of another loophole. The elders instructed the men of Benjamin to hide and to watch in the vineyards. And just when the daughters of Shiloh came out to perform their dances, 
every man should catch and kidnap for himself a wife. And if anybody complained, the people would say, well, we're not guilty of breaking our oath. And so the Benjamites caught enough wives to return to rebuild and inherit their cities. So you see, the elders got around a seemingly intractable dilemma. It wasn't an ideal solution, but I mention this as a biblical example of how today's religious leaders might struggle with the missing red heifer ashes and come up with some sort of creative solution acceptable to halakha, Jewish religious laws. By the way, it was necessary for the tribe of Benjamin to survive, however messy that Bible episode was. Because without Benjamin, the world would never have had King Saul or even the Apostle Paul, who was a Benjamite. So, on the other hand, there may not be a dilemma after all if miraculously the old ashes are discovered in an archaeological dig. Because it seems almost every day in Israel, our website reports some archaeological discovery. Well, the ordinance of the ashes of the red heifer in the Bible is a fascinating study. Think about this. The ashes of the sin offering were mingled with living spring water. So one of the first things to observe is the necessity of water as a purifying agent. And according to Numbers chapter 19 and verse 17, the ashes were to be put into pure spring water. And even today, water is a symbol used in churches, not only for baptisms, but in some denominations, there is a laver of consecrated water at the door of the sanctuary. In the Old Testament, the laver stood as a reminder that cleansing is necessary before approaching God. The application for believers today is that we're forgiven through Messiah's work on the cross. And so we go through the waters of baptism and we're washed through his word. We need to have our minds and spirits washed daily by the reading of his words so that we can serve and minister before the Lord. The red heifer was a true type of sin offering, but the heifer wasn't slain at the temple altar, but rather outside the camp and the carcass was wholly consumed. Theologians don't fail to see the significance that Jesus the Messiah suffered for our sins outside the gate of Jerusalem. And the ashes of this singular offering were carefully preserved to be used to communicate purifying virtue to the water. All of these details have deep meaning. For example, in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, we're told that the sin offering prefigured Messiah in his offering himself on our behalf without spot and without blemish to God. Even now there's cleansing power in the blood of Messiah. That's why we sing the old hymn. There's power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the lamb. The person who believes in Messiah is not only pardoned of sins, but our consciences are purged so that we no longer shrink in shame from God. But we're invited to draw near to his throne of grace boldly with confidence. 
ashes were put in the vessel of spring water and were sprinkled on an unclean person with a bunch of hyssop. What does this teach us? Well, sin makes us unfit for the presence of God, and God has provided a way to make us clean. But we must avail ourselves of God's provision. As I heard Reinhard Bonke preach so many times in his messages in Africa, a man can work in a soap factory and be surrounded by hundreds of thousands of bars of soap. But until he applies the soap to himself, he can never get clean. Likewise, Jesus' blood is the cleansing agent against all sin. But by faith, we must be willing to apply his blood to our sins. And here's another deep truth. The ashes of the red heifer were used to communicate purification to water from generation to generation. This teaches us that one sacrifice was available for an indefinite number of individuals generationally. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus' sacrifice was for everybody for time and eternity. Hallelujah. Anybody can avail themselves of his holy blood by faith. And so I want to magnify the great fulfillment of all of this symbolism, Jesus himself. And here's what the commentary in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Messiah offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You see, there's no comparison between the blood of Messiah and bulls, goats, and red cows. They were only symbols. The animals weren't conscious of bearing iniquity, but Messiah was fully conscious. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was continually led by the Holy Spirit, and he was moved by the Holy Spirit to offer up his life as a sacrifice for sin. And what remains of him? Not ashes, hallelujah, but a resurrected body who will never die. He ever lives to make intercession for us. The red heifer was intended to cleanse from ceremonial defilement. But how much more shall the blood of Messiah cleanse us from all sin? Well, sadly, we're informed in the New Testament that the man of sin, known elsewhere in the Bible as the Antichrist, will defile the third temple and will declare himself to be God. And when this happens, the Jewish people who have rebuilt their temple will know that they've been betrayed and defiled. The fact that the Jewish people are determined to build the third temple indicates we're surely living in the end times. So how can you be sure you're ready for the sudden coming of the Lord? You may rejoice that your sins have been atoned for by this spotless Lamb of God. 
His sacrifice on the cross is efficacious for time and eternity for anyone who chooses to put their trust in Him. The blood of Messiah is a zillion times more effective than the ashes of the red heifer. You can have your sins covered through genuine repentance and asking the Lord to forgive you and to wash you with His atoning blood. Do you recall in John chapter 3 when Jesus taught Nicodemus, a rabbi and a member of the Sanhedrin court, that a person must be born again? Well, Nicodemus was surprised by that statement, but Jesus rebuked him. Jesus said a teacher in Israel should know that the Hebrew scriptures teach being born again. In fact, King David prayed in Psalm 51 and verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Sin is contagious, and all people on the planet are infected with it. But the blood of Messiah is of sufficient value to cleanse us from all sin and to present us white as snow. But to enjoy its benefit, the blood must be applied by faith. And wherever and whenever the Lord's blood is applied, its power takes effect immediately. I hope today will be the day of your eternal salvation. Please believe and confess with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that the blood of Messiah is more powerful than the blood of goats, bulls, and the ashes of a red heifer. Thank you that Jesus died to pay for my sins and thank you that he took all of my sins to the cross and to the grave. I choose this day to put my eternal trust in him. Thank you, God, that there's power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Amen. Well, we're out of time, but you can watch this program again or any of our programs anytime in our website and exploits.tv, where you can click online to receive our newsletters and updates about our prayer convocations in the Holy Land. Until next time, earnestly contending for the faith, watching on the walls, and praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. I'm so grateful to God that we can make the Jerusalem Channel available to a global audience and to you. There's so much in the airwaves and on the internet to distract us from what's really important. Every day there's another passing internet sensation, usually a pet performing silly tricks or something like that. The experts claim that our attention span for watching a video is just a minute or two. And even that needs razzle-dazzle effects with a thumping soundtrack to retain viewers' interest, so they claim. Well, that's just not what we're about. Taking God's Word seriously and explaining what the Lord is doing in this critical hour means that our weekly videos are usually a half hour of content. And we're honored to say that over three-quarters of a million people watch our free video teachings in recent months. Now, if we were a big church or a large media ministry, we would have all the necessary resources to make the Jerusalem Channel possible. But we're not. We're just a small team with a mandate to declare a biblical message 
and to help you understand God's heart for Israel. And because God also loves the Muslims, the Hindus, and everybody in the world, our ministry also shares the good news of saving health to all nations. Although we make do with the vital support from you, our viewers and website visitors, there's so much more that could be accomplished in the critical harvest days ahead. One major goal is to offer our videos in other languages, in Hebrew, Arabic, German, French, Spanish, Hindu, Urdu, and so on. But that will only be possible with your help. Our ministry is tax deductible in the USA, and we're also a registered charity in the UK, which allows us to claim gift aid on qualifying donations. We really need you to help the Jerusalem channel continue and grow. You can make a credit or debit card donation online at our website, jerusalemchannel.tv, or by phone. In the USA, it's toll free at one 888-245-2692. And in the UK, it's the national rate number 0843-557-4077. Thanks so much for being a part of this end time outreach and praying for the peace of Jerusalem.